Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. First big game animal ever. And I, I, I can still picture the hunt. I can still picture the hillside like it was yesterday. When that critter hit the ground, that was it. That was it for me. I knew I wanted to be a big game hunter. I wanted to be the next Teddy Roosevelt. I wanted to go on a six month safari in Africa. And I just, you know, I, I felt it. Um, I'm sure the same way you, you do and millions of other hunters do when they take a critter, you just feel it. it there, there's a, there's something there that, that it's hard to explain, but you all know what I'm talking about. Oh, you got her, dude. She's down. Dude, I just shot a deer of a lifetime. Freaking smoked him. One with nature, and if you're a believer, one with God. Definitely gets your heart pumping. Boy, you are in trouble. Follow Obsession Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to another Fall Obsession podcast episode driven by Elite Archery. I am Sam with Fall Obsession, your Fall Obsession podcast host, and we appreciate you guys tuning in for another one of our weekly Monday episodes. This week, I'm joined by no stranger to the podcast, familiar voice on here, our Fall Obsession marketing manager, Drew Tordick. What's up, Drew? Hey, Sam. How are you doing? I'm good, man. And our guest this week is John Adami from JRA Adventures. Welcome to Fall Obsession Podcast, John. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I'm looking forward to it. We are too, man. Happy to happy to have you join us and everything. Did I get your last name right? You you nailed it. All right, good deal. I'm I'm glad I got that going for me. So, <laughs> well, man, we're we're gonna. I know this is your first time joining us. Normally, actually, some of the questions that we're gonna dive in right off the bat here and start with are some stuff that we in the past with some of our guests have held toward the end of our episodes. But I think given the nature of our conversation and the nature of what you do over there with your um, 
outfitting operation there. I think they're appropriate to ask more at the front of our episode here. So um, I'm going to start off by just giving you the opportunity first to introduce yourself and tell us what JRA Adventures is, and then give us a memorable hunting memory, something that really stands out in your mind, um, one of your favorite hunting memories that is the first thing you think of. Okay, absolutely. Uh, you know, as, as you said, my name's John, and, and I run a, a booking agency here based out of uh, Arch, Nevada. Uh, we have hunts around the world, uh, anywhere from Upland Games to the Big Five in Africa and everything in between uh, you know some people come some people go the hunts are always changing and i i think where i pride myself and what i do is like currently right now i have a, a set of hunters in africa and some booking agents they book the hunt they take the 10 percent, and that's the end of it um, i will be in contact with my clients the hunters through the entire hunt, if that's what they choose to do. If they need to call me for a question or answer, you know, text me for a question, I try to be there for them. In certain cases, you know, that's not always possible. Sometimes you're off the grid, but like I said, we just, we do hunts everywhere. And I got into this probably five or six years back. I, I had gone to Africa and I did a hunt down there and it's a totally different world. You, as you guys know, um, a lot of states in the in America and in, in the in North America are draw states only. Uh, I'm sure you guys run into that where where you guys travel, and so a lot of people don't have the opportunity to hunt every year. Uh, there's a lot of people that are in situations where they they just wait for a tag and. And that's that. And that's where I come into play. We've got hunts that don't require tags. We've got hunts that don't require a draw. Uh, we're, we're currently working on partnering with an outfit in Oklahoma that does exotic hunts, some high fence hunts. Not for everybody, but they're there. Yeah. One of the guys I partner with up in Washington, he just did a high fence hunt at this lodge for a disabled veteran, which was a really great deal. It got this guy that otherwise probably would have never been able to do this elk hunt. So we just, we really try to make a good experience for everybody here at JRA. We try to communicate as best we can and get people on those critters, those trophies of a lifetime that they have really been looking for. And that's, that's our main goal. So that's awesome. Very cool. Yeah. We, we, we try, we try pretty hard for them. You know, you don't build a business on, well, you guys know, you guys have built a very successful business and you don't do it by not trying and not working hard. You've right. got to be there for your customers. Absolutely. So, um, you know, and as for a memorable hunt, <clears throat> I kind of ran this through my head because I kind of thought this question might pop up. So this goes back a little over 20 years. Growing up, uh, hunting was not the most prevalent thing in my life, but being outside, being outdoors, fishing, camping was, and my grandfather was the driving force behind me doing that. At the age of 16 is when I did my first big game hunt. Uh, myself, my grandfather, aunt and uncle who lived in, still do live in Phoenix, Arizona. We all put in for a Havilland tag. 
it's a draw, but a super high success rate. We all drew. So I flew down to Bloody Basin, Arizona, also my first time on a plane. Well, flew to Phoenix, drove into Bloody Basin. Four or five day hunt. I was the only person on that trip that ended up filling my tag with a javelina. First big game animal ever. And I, I, I can still picture the hunt. I can still picture the hillside like it was yesterday. When that critter hit the ground, that was it. That was it for me. I knew I wanted to be a big game hunter. I wanted to be the next Teddy Roosevelt. I wanted to go on a six-month safari in Africa, and I just, you know, I, I felt it. Um, I'm sure the same way you you do and millions of other hunters do when they take a critter. You just feel it. it there, there's a there's something there that that it's hard to explain. But you all know what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's it's something special. That, unfortunately, you know, not to bring a somber tone right at the beginning, that unfortunately was the first and last big game hunt I would ever do with my grandfather. He ended up passing away about two years later. Um, but it was solidified with me that that's what I was going to do. That, that was my hobby. That was my passion in life. And it's... Uh, I put myself in a fortunate position where I can now share that passion with other people. And that's, that's my memorable story. And that's how I got where I'm at today. That's awesome. So going from there, your where your passion for big game hunting really began. How did that evolve over time into into JRA's existence? Because you, you, you've told us a little bit about what you guys do. Tell us a little bit about how you got there. Absolutely. Um, SCI, Safari Club International, I'm sure, sure you know what it is. Prior to maybe two or three years ago, Reno was the hub for their convention. They came here every year for, I don't know, countless years, and they've, they've recently moved. So that being here, I believe it's still the largest convention. Uh, Dallas Safari Club might might have beaten it. If not, they rival it very closely. But So SCI would come to Reno every year. And being in and around people that hunted, you hear about it. And you're like, oh, man, I want to go. I want to see these animals. I want to I wanna experience. Basically, you can experience the world of hunting in one building. It's a it's a really cool place to go. Anybody that's ever gone to SCI or Dallas Safari Club know what I'm talking about. And so it started basically, I would, I would volunteer my services to vendors at the show. And in return, I could get into the show. And I, so I would help these vendors set up or take down or whatever. And I would get into the show for free. And on top of that, you know, some of the vendors would, give me a hundred, maybe 200 bucks after the show for helping them set up the takedown. So it was a win-win for all of us. They didn't have to hire a service. I didn't have to pay to get in. It worked out real good. But my travels in the show, when I wasn't working for anybody, I would see these, these rare critters, uh, ones now that I think are pretty common, but you know, maybe they're not, but the African animals, the fang deer in London, and just all these animals that prior to going to the show, you just read about or you just see pictures of. 
And I talked with some outfitters off and on over the years, made some relationships. I've never, I've never had a driving passion to be a guide or outfitter per se. I don't, I don't have the drive to want to be in the field six, seven months a year. There's a lot of work there. Uh, the guys that I book for, I have the utmost respect for. They're, they're hardworking and, and they do their best to get you on animals. And I mean, they're in the bush uh, a good six months of the year every day. And so I was like, well, how do I get, how do I get into this? How can I make these connections without having to do that? Cause I do, I have a full-time career on the side. I'm a heavy equipment mechanic and it's, it's not conducive to, it wasn't conducive to my lifestyle at the time. And it's still not to be able to do that. But so I started making these connections and seeing, you know what I can, I can book hunts. I can, I can get people on their animals. I can talk with hunters, huntresses, outdoorsmen all day long and still be involved in the industry. And it, it started after my Africa trip. I, I still book for the first uh, African outfitters that I got. They're a great set of guys, Bailey Sipple Safaris, and it, it's just budded from there into where we're at now with everybody else. That's awesome. Very cool how that's how that's evolved and, and come about for you. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you. John, you mentioned those fanged deer. Uh, I'm looking at your website now, and you know I'm on the European Hunts um, or the European Trophy Gallery, and for our our listeners, it's it's the picture in the top left that I'm looking at. That's that's a crazy looking deer. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about those fanged deer? Yeah. So the fang deer that uh, some people call them a vampire deer, they're they're called Chinese water deer, and contradictory to the name, they're actually native to the Philippines. I'm sure there's a, a correct Latin name for them. I don't know it, but uh, so they were introduced into Europe. I don't know how many years ago, but they were introduced in there, and they've become. I wouldn't necessarily call them a staple, but they are one of the main sporting animals over there to go hunt. And there's also another deer called Muntjac. Uh, they have things as well. They're not, they don't get near as large as the Chinese water deer. And the Muntjac also have little horns. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call them antlers. They do. They just look like two little spikes on the top. It's funny because, you know, there's some places that I've, that I book for that I've never been yet. And London is actually one of them. Uh, I'm slated to go there in February where, you know, everything should go off as planned with the pandemic and all that stuff. Don't want to get into that, but uh, we're slated to go hunt those in February. But Thomas, the outfitter has actually hunted with my African outfitters and Thomas owns his own, business over there in London, Lancaster Outfitters and Lancaster Guns. He's a, another phenomenal guy, and we're going to go over there and see what it's all about because I, for the most part, I do not like to send clients to places I haven't been. I have put my neck on the line before uh, with Outfitters, and fortunately, it's always worked out, you know, having not hunted with them and then and booking, booking clients for them. But the those little Chinese water deer, those little mutt jack, I, they're just a great little trophy over there. And we also offer uh, roebuck 
over in Poland. They're kind of another unique little deer. All those deer, uh, the biggest ones, probably the roebuck, and it might hit 70 pounds. I mean, that would be a, a true monster. Little Chinese water deer and muck jack, they probably average 40 to 50 pounds. They're, you know, they're not very big deer, but they're a great hunt over there. And it's, it's a great hunt for people traveling to England because you don't need to make a big five, six, seven-day hunt out of it. You can, you can do it in a day or two. So it's great if you're over there and you are traveling for pleasure and you're like, you know, hey, let's squeeze in a hunt. Thomas has got everything to make it happen from renting guns and whatnot. You just got to bring your own camo. Awesome. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, as somebody who's hunted whitetails in the Midwest quite a bit and mule deer out west and elk, it's uh, it's interesting to see the smaller species of deer. And it these are some pretty cool looking deer that you have on the page. Uh it, it made me think, you know, I've never hunted abroad or in another country, uh, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners probably haven't had that opportunity either. Do you want to talk a little bit about what goes into that for somebody who may be thinking about hunting abroad for their first trip? Yes, yes. So it really does depend where you're going as to what's involved. So... If you're going to go into Africa, we'll use that one as the example right out of the gate because it's it's one of the most logistic ones, but it's really not that hard. <clears throat> so I'll book your hunt. We'll set you up. You're going to go to Africa, and then I put you in contact with a, you know, heck, I don't even know what, what their actual title is, an airport escort. And so they will get all your information, you get all your, your gun information set to them, and they will get all your paperwork filled out. Pay them $100 U.S., bam, you're through customs with your own guns, and you're off and hunting. There's no permits, there's no tags, there's no licenses that you have to deal with, the exception of some dangerous game, depending on what country you're in. People get very worked up um, about what they have to do when they travel abroad. And I understand it. My first trip abroad, it, it can be very nerve wracking if you don't have the right person helping you. And that was something that I decided when I started booking abroad that, you know what, I, I need to be there for these clients because it, it can, you can get overwhelmed very easy and it's usually self-induced. My, you know, my, when my wife and I went, there was a couple self-induced minor panic attacks thinking, oh, man, do I have everything in order? But it all worked out in the end. Some people consider traveling abroad, you know, maybe flying over the Pacific to Hawaii to go hunt or to Guam, for example. Uh, it gets even easier there. There are U.S. places. You travel over. You take the right paperwork. But, you know, anything that gets booked through us or with me personally I don't do that paperwork for you. One, I can't because it's not my, my information. But two, um, I, I will help you with everything that I can to make sure that it gets done and it gets done right. But traveling abroad is, is something that I, I feel more people should do because there's a great big world out there and it has so much to offer. And it's, it's not that overwhelming once you do it the first time. And then you think, oh, you know what? This is not too bad. Yeah. And what kind of logistics are you looking at 
once the hunt's completed as far as getting home and getting the trophies home and are you allowed to bring meat back okay that's a that's a real good question because i get asked about the meat all the time for the most part uh if you're in a different country with the exception of Canada and I believe Mexico. I don't have anything in Mexico, but you can bring the meat back. It's all you, you know, you got to go through your checkpoints at the airport and stuff. But like from Canada, you would just freeze it, put it in a cooler, come home. It's just considered checked luggage. Now, when you go to Africa or Argentina or New Zealand, the, the, the soft answer to that is no, you cannot bring the meat back. There are ways to do it. It is extremely difficult, extremely costly. So for the most part, no, you cannot bring the meat back. And there's a big misconception that, you know, oh, what are you doing? Are you going over there skinning the animals, leaving them in the field? No. All of that meat goes to use. All of your guides, all of your outfitters, they're just as in they're just as into game meat as as a whitetail hunter or a mule deer hunter to put meat in the freezer. None of the guys I work for, they, you don't leave meat in the field. So it all goes to use. It all goes somewhere. Where that is, it could be to, in Africa, to the trackers or the staff, or it could go straight to your guide. But no, you can't, you can't bring the meat back. And as for animal care, when you're done, I point everybody in the right direction, but everybody has a little different way they want to do it. So with the Africans, they have their selected taxidermist over there in the country who's very good, very good. And the animals will go to them, and then from there, it's a conversation between the taxidermist and the hunters. They decide, do I want to have it taxidermied in country, or do I want to have it dipped and packed and sent to the U.S. for my taxidermist to do it? That taxidermist will work with a shipper, a logistics company, and it'll either, you'll either have mounts that are done shipped directly to your door or to your taxidermist, and you pick them up from there. It's, it's a timely process, but it's not, it's not very difficult. Same thing with New Zealand. New Zealand actually has, and this could have changed with everything that's gone on, but they had a rule that within six months your animals had to be out. So very rarely does something ever get taxidermied in New Zealand, but it's the same process. It goes to a local taxidermist there, gets dipped and packed, sent over via a logistics company, and then to your taxidermist. Same thing with Argentina, London. It's uh, Again, it's a, it's a timely process. It's just not very difficult. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you make it sound pretty easy. So, uh, yeah, it... it... I guess you were talking about overthinking it and it seems like that'd be something that's easy to do for the first time. Um, first time hunter that's looking at a hunt like this. Oh yeah. No, it's, it's very easy to overthink it. Cause when I did my, my first trip abroad, it was, ah, man, it was, <laughs> it was very difficult, but I also didn't have, all I had was the outfit I hunted with. I did not hunt with Bailey Sipple that time. Um, it was a different outfit and the communication was very poor and that was something that was ingrained that not shouldn't say ingrained something that stuck with me that hey if i if i make this business work i don't want my potential clients or future clients to have to go through that because for me there was some very big issues that could have been easily avoided so 
I think I remember you mentioning Guam. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about what you hunt in Guam and what the process is like down there? That sounds like it could be one of the more interesting hunts. Yeah, it's definitely. Um, so that's one of those ones where I was telling you where I, uh, Joey is a guy I put my neck on the line for. Um, and it has really worked out good. Joey is a phenomenal guy. He's a, he's a local. He was born and raised on the island of Guam. Um, and he hunts for wild deer and Mariana Rusa deer and wild hogs. The, the Mariana Rusa deer can also be found on New Zealand and Australia, I believe. But that particular subspecies uh, can only be hunted on Guam. Their, their antlers, their horn size is probably a third to half as big as the ones you're going to see in Australia and New Zealand area, but they're a very unique deer, very unique hunt. It's super jungly and it will, it will test you just because of the terrain. You know, you're not going up at 13,000 feet to shoot a doll sheep, but you are trying to go through what looks like Jurassic Park to find a deer. So very trying hunt, very rewarding. And he also does, uh, wild boar hunting down there. You can do it in a couple ways. You can do it the a traditional spot and stock. It could be a little more picky in what you want to shoot. Or you can do it in the traditional Hawaiian uh, Pacific Islander way where they will bathe them up with dogs and you go in and dispatch the animal with a knife, which is quite the adrenaline rush. But those are the only two critters offered down there. And as far as I know, Joey is the only guide and outfitter on the island. That sounds like it's kind of a really unique hunt and a really unique opportunity. It, it's something I tell people. I've had a, a couple people go on Hawaiian hunts with me, and there's no gray area. Uh, when you when you hunt uh, an animal in that style, it's, it's very primal. It's very it's very personal, and you either like it or you don't. Um, and you know, for some people, it's not for some people. And but I tell everybody, no matter what, you know, because I book stuff every, like I said, everywhere from high fence hunts to the most free range stuff you could imagine. We're all on the same team as sportsmen. Uh, we may not all be in the same boat but, or, or storm or whatever, but we are all together and we need to stop knocking how other people choose to hunt. You know, that there's, if you're doing it unethically, I disagree with it, but everybody has a different way they like to hunt and, and we all need to be on the same page. But it's okay to hunt in different ways. And, and that pig hunt really taught me that because people, some people get very, very twisted up about that yeah you know i've seen some videos of it and it's it's kind of an intense way of hunting but when you look at it you know you're stabbing the pig in the heart with a knife which really isn't that much different than shooting one with a bow through the heart it's it's real similar to that um i guess it's way more firsthand and a lot more up close and personal but the the basics behind it is the same and it seems like it'd be just as humane Absolutely. It, it does. It happens very quick, you know, and 
it is. Uh, and I have, I have never bow hunted in my life, but that is, if I had to, that's what I would compare it to. It, it's a, I mean, that's, that's a good comparison. It, people, people get with that kind of stuff more, more weirded out because again, if we're seeing it, it's because somebody has documented a hunt like that. So you're up close and personal to the intensity and, and the blood and the gore and everything. But, uh, and I think that just kind of, you know, that intensity in and of itself just adds to it. I was going to also mention we've uh, just for our listeners' sake who might be curious in learning a little bit more about um, you know this type of hunting, hunting pigs with a blade like this. Uh, we actually had a guest on our podcast a while back. Um, it's episode forty-one, and this guy from High Caliber Kennels, Daniel, um, our uh, one of our other admins, Nick Powell, interviewed him, and um, that, this is what he does. He runs dogs, and he he hosts these kind of hunts uh, down here in Texas. So just a little a little blip if y'all want to actually talk to somebody who firsthand is in there in the middle of all the action every week, almost daily. Um, that, that's a good one to listen to, too. But, yeah, that's it's a very – just listening to him talk about it, I know it was a very – it's a very intense experience. So – yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go back and listen to that one because uh, I've been over to Hawaii a couple times to do it, and it is it's it's like no other hunting you're gonna experience in your life. Yeah, I I believe it for sure. He's got a he's got an Instagram page too, High Caliber Kennels. Um, go go give that one a follow because he posts all of his uh, his hog hunting videos and everything on there. I'm I, I'm su- honestly I'm surprised that he doesn't get kick back with the way social media it is right now more often than he does but um he he throws all his videos and everything up there so oh I'm, i i will definitely go check him out yeah he's a pretty cool guy too well i was gonna i was gonna ask you john too um kind of turning it back a little bit to some hunting back here in the states um we and kind of also how we we became acquainted with each other was through a project hunt that we're kind of trying to put together um through nabs which is the nat or excuse me the northern north american association of blind sportsmen um hunts for vets adapted pursuits tv several different organizations and then and then yourself um, to put together a charity hunt coming up this fall um you want to speak a little bit to your involvement for that? I, I'm, you know, I don't want to turn, turn the whole podcast into a, you know, a, an advertisement for, if you will, for for the hunt or for the, the charity side of it. But it, it's a really cool opportunity that we're all getting to be involved in with that. Yeah, it, it is. It is. Um, and you know, no, I have no problem uh, advertising that. It's it's such a great deal. So that started with a turkey hunt that I actually booked with Drew for myself and my hunting partner that were after the turkey slant. Totally different story, different conversation, but uh, we found Drew up there with his Miriam. I was like, okay, we're going to do that. So I booked this hunt with Drew. He meets me. He has no clue I'm a booking agent. We talk, we do things, and, and we harvest our birds, and we continued to talk after that hunt. And he is now, uh, quick side note, he is now probably my number one, actually currently, he's, until we pick up 
or work out a deal with the Oklahoma guys. He is uh, currently my only lower 48 outfitter. I try not to get with too many people that do the same things because then it just becomes competitive. But right. Um, so I booked the site. We talk, and he goes, "All right, man." He goes, "Let's let's see what you do and and how it all works." And so we we had a long conversation, and I got him a couple clients, and he goes, "Man," it goes, he goes, "I think you know what you're doing." And so now I'm his sole booking agent, and I also do uh, basically his, his logistics. And he 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 doesn't like any of that. He wants to be out in the field getting you on critters, and that is what he does. He does it great, and his success rates are phenomenal. So Lance from Adaptive Pursuits TV and NAB contacted Drew, uh, hunting for vets about taking a single blind hunter out on a whitetail. Drew called me up and said, "Hey, do you, you know what's this all about?" I, said, I, I have no idea, man. So we, uh, I contacted Lance and Lance said, "Hey, this is what I do. This is who we are." And so Drew and I talked about it and we were going to donate a, a whitetail hunt to Lance. And that was all set up and we were going to do that. About two weeks goes by. Lance calls me out of the blue and says, Hey, do you guys do mule deer? And I said, yeah, we do mule deer. You know, it's not a, it's not a big selling point for us, but we do. And it blossomed into this, Six mule deer hunt. Uh, you caught you. you know, I spoke with him. I believe it was episode seventy-five. Yeah. Uh, about the mule deer hunt, and he said, "Hey, I got these guys full obsession. They're going to help us out, and they, you know, they they do podcasts, they do advertising." Like, okay, right on. I'm thinking to myself the whole time. I'm like, "Man, six mule deer. That's a tall order to fill." <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> it's it. it getting one mule deer could be hard. Yeah. So I call up Drew and little, another little side note here. I pretty much told Lance yes before I even spoke to Drew. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was like, yeah, we can do it. And I, I call up Drew and I tell him and Drew's like, uh, yeah, yeah, we can do it. And of course he had about the same amount of confidence in his voice that I did not mind. And we, we talked about it and, it, it it has just it's starting to come to fruition and it's really going I mean you guys are are doing a lot of work getting it out there uh, Lance is out there beating the street and he's got a very successful show and a very successful business and I I feel like it's going to be a really great thing for all of us Fall Obsession Hunting for Vets NABs Adaptive Pursuits and, and JRA Adventures I think it's going to come out to be a really really cool thing that we're doing yes absolutely we're we're pretty excited and and for our listeners sake if you guys haven't seen anything on this heard anything on this um, or listened to episode 75 where we actually sat down and talked with um, Lance Mathena who John has referenced several times here first off go listen to episode 75 a lot of good info um, not just on this particular project that we're working on but also just on um, what Lance is doing over there with NABs and uh, you know disabled veterans and, and those kind of guys over there but um, we 
we've partnered with these guys for, like John said, this this six mule deer hunt. Um, it's on the the Washington Idaho border, if you will, and taking six uh, either blind or visually impaired uh, veterans out on this hunt, guys who wouldn't have the opportunity to to do something like this or go on a hunt like this um otherwise and the reason that we're involved and while we're while we're promoting it um and, and again i'm i'm a blue collar outdoorsman i'm i'm not one that you know i i always feel uncomfortable asking people for for money and i don't want people to feel like that's what i'm doing but i mean this hunt is made possible by charitable donations so um we can we got plenty of info out there and, and we can tell you all about it later as far as if y'all are interested in helping out with this hunt and that capacity how you guys can do that but um that's kind of how all this came about i know um drew our, our drew drew tordick <laughs> you uh you were pretty involved with lance from the get-go on on getting the ball rolling and everything on on this and coming up with the with kind of the marketing scheme behind it so yeah uh you know lance and i've been talking for quite a while to pull this together and it's it's awesome to see it finally coming to point where you know i can see it on the horizon we're going to be doing this hunting here in a couple of months and it's going to be a great time um you know we've talked with lance pretty extensively about how people can get involved in that episode 75 but i think it might be interesting um for the listeners to hear about a little bit more about where we're going and the type of hunting that it's going to be yeah yeah um so real quick it you know like Sam and Drew said, if you guys didn't get the info, because it, it is, it's a, this hunt's a really big deal and it, it's going to be a great thing for everybody. You know, episode 75, Lance gives out all his information for anybody that wants to donate or help out or do anything with it. You guys can also go to my website, jraadventures.com, uh, shoot me an email, call me, and, and, and we can get you in contact with Lance if that's easy. But where we're going to be hunting, we're going to be hunting... It'll be northeastern Washington, uh, and I believe partly in Idaho. I'm I unfortunately will only be up there for uh, half the hunt. Work kind of sometimes takes precedent, which is saddening, but it happens. Um, it's about two hours, two and a half hours from from Spokane. Uh, let's see here, southwest of Spokane for the first part of the hunt, and it's you know it's rolling hills, it's farmland, it's grassland. Um, with with the blind hunters and the visually impaired we can't be up at you know we can't be up at ten thousand foot mule deer camp hiking the mountain so drew works with landowners up there and it we're we're going to have access to private land free range mule deer and we're going to do our best to send all six hunters home with their trophy of a lifetime and and with your guys' help and everybody's help, I think it'll work out great. So do you think it'll be spot and stock type of hunting, or do you think it'll be setups on, you know, travel corridors and ground blinds and things like that? It's, we're going to, we're going to, we're trying to do some ground blinds. We still need to get all, uh, every hunter's information, but yeah, travel corridors, ground blinds, um, you know, primary feeding, daytime feeding areas for when they're, when they're coming out and, you guys know mule deer. They're, they're very difficult to hunt. So Drew's out there beating the streets, and he's also got another fellow up there that works with him, and, and they're 
they're putting together the game plan. They are the guys uh, that are out there doing the physical work that will hopefully make it happen. And and once Lance gets us some information, he says that he you know sometimes you have hunters that basically all they can do is sit in the blind and hunt, and then you have some visually impaired gentlemen or or, or ladies that nope, let's go, let's hike, and and they'll do as much as they can. So it's it's all going to be, hopefully we have all of our bases covered. And we can hunt from blinds, we can do a little spot and stock, we can hunt the corridors, and and we're going to try to cater each hunt to the hunter's ability. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things listening to you tell that last part, it got me thinking about the number of people that are involved. You know, it's a hunt for six people. But just on our end, um, and, you know, the number of people you've listed so far in the podcast, once we include our, our pro staff and our field staff who are trying to raise money for us, you know, we're up to over 50 individuals just that I can think of right now who are involved in putting this hunt and getting this hunt together and coordinated and getting these guys out there. So it's it's definitely a group effort, and it's rewarding in a different kind of way than hunting normally is, and it's, it's a cool thing to be involved in. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, like you said, you, you put a number on it, 50 guys. That, that, that's a lot to coordinate a hunt, and it's, and it's great that, that everybody's helping. Uh, nobody's, oh, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do this. Everybody's pitching in. Everybody's trying to do something. And, and like, we're only going to have three hunters in camp at a time, two four-day rotations. And with that being said, there's only three hunters, but there's going to be 10 to 14 people in camp at a time to make all this happen between cameramen, volunteers, uh, guides, everything. So it's, yeah, it's a big operation and it's going to be, I'm extremely fortunate and happy that, you know, my 10 or 15 years of, of, of doing my, my work and my booking stuff is, is it's coming to this and it's, things are happening and it's great. Yeah. Yeah. This is, you know, the more we talk about it and the more it gets planned out and, you know, everything that, you know, putting myself in the point of view of our listeners, hearing all of these stories, man, this is something that's pretty exciting. It isn't the normal hunt that people are involved in in the fall. And it's, it's kind of, it's a different, different thing to be involved in. And it's a cool story to be able to tell. It's, it's going to be a very cool story. Well, an awesome hunt coming up this fall guys. And, uh really looking forward to seeing everything that comes out of that john i I appreciate your time today too and uh and join us on the podcast it's been awesome talking to you and and not just hearing about like i said your involvement with with this project and how we kind of became acquainted but also just about all the stuff you're doing over there at jra it's been pretty fun to to learn about it and to talk with you yeah no i i appreciate it uh, just as much as well It's, it's the opportunity to be able to to talk about what I do and what you guys do and what we're all doing collectively is awesome. Absolutely. Well, man, before we cut you loose, we have some questions that we normally hit any first-time guests on our podcast with uh, before we before we send them home. Um, we've actually already we kind of 
adjusted our script a little bit and we normally ask people about you know their favorite hunting memory we kind of we kind of use that this time to kick off our conversation today um, but the second question that we normally follow up that with and i think it's going to be really interesting to hear about it from you because you are somebody that that runs this this uh service and this organization you know putting people on hunts of a lifetime or dream hunts but what's yours what's a bucket list hunt that you have your eye on that you haven't gotten to do yourself yet ah man i this is so easy for me to answer because i've had this animal no pun intended in my sight for probably 20 years and that is a mature male hippo a hippo Uh, a hippo i i honestly i could not tell you guys why or i mean i when as in a timeline it's, it's been a long time but i couldn't tell you why i want a hippo but if if i could only get one more animal ever in my hunting career it would have to be a hippo i just there's something about them that that is just thinking about that that's going to be a crazy experience and that's the first time we've ever had anybody on our podcast uh put a hippo on their bucket list so (laughs) that's pretty cool that's awesome yeah i I hope it happens one day we'll see well if it does uh, obviously you got to send us some pictures and then we got to get you back on this podcast to tell us all about it oh for sure that'd be awesome all right so last question and then we'll wrap it up um we we, you know you've as i've mentioned several times now you've told us about you know your company and everything what advice do you have for a hunter who may be a little bit intimidated by the whole um hunting you know outside the u.s has never done an an african hunt or, or a hunt anywhere outside the lower 48 what advice do you have for him when it comes to planning and booking that hunt if you had to summarize it do your research um i'm not the be all end all of it uh neither is the neither is the next booking agent or the next booking agent after that <clears throat> call them all call call as many as you want call your friends um i'm sure that you guys could reach out and probably within a half a dozen people you would find somebody that's that's hunted abroad <clears throat> ask them questions pick their brain and, and don't be afraid. I get people that call me up. I, I did a DIY caribou hunt last year, and I get people that call me up that are booking with this outfit. And I don't even book for them. Uh, they're, a great, they're a great bunch of guys, but I get people that call me up just to pick my brain. What do I bring? What do I take? Don't be afraid to reach out. You know, and if you have somebody that's not willing to give you that information because you're not booking with them, move on to the next guy. Um, I will answer anybody's questions to the best of my knowledge but just do your research and and, and don't be afraid to to ask those questions Um, because you know it's something that you don't know if you don't know it ask it and and we'll work you through it but definitely do your due diligence and and just reach out to everybody that you can because most of us are here to help you awesome much appreciated 
Well, guys, thank you all for tuning in to another week of our Follow-Up Session podcast. If you guys have not already, hit that follow and subscribe button on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. We are on all major podcast platforms, um, as well as YouTube and our website, followupsession.com. And as we alluded to at the very beginning of the episode, this podcast is... uh, Brought to you guys in partnership with the guys over at Elite Archery. We are super excited to be partnering with them uh, going on several years now. Um, Their bows are top-notch and some of the best on the market, in our opinion. Uh, Some of the most shootable bows, um, in our opinion. And I know you can go to your dealer and and you can shoot almost any bow on the market these days. And and the technology is there and and they're comfortable. But um, I encourage you guys to take the Elite Shootability Challenge at your local dealer. Check them out at EliteArchery.com. Take a look at the new technology, the one-of-a-kind technology they have in the industry in those bows. And see if it's a good fit for you. Again, go shoot it and, and see what you think for yourself. So followupsession.com, that is our website, that is the hub, that's where you guys can go to find all of our content. We've actually just made some new updates to our website um, to make it a little bit more user-friendly and share with you guys some of the some of the new and updated stuff that we're doing, so go check us out. Um, followupsession.com slash podcast is where you can find all our podcast episodes on our website as well as links to all those other podcast apps. Um, we're putting out a new episode every single Monday morning, every single week, so be sure that you guys follow along that way uh, you catch awesome episodes that we have coming out over a variety of different North American hunting topics Um, and if you're looking for more info on the hunt that we've discussed about this fall um, you can go to fallobsession.com we have a a little section of it right there on our home page that'll take you guys to uh, a link where you guys can get more info on it or you can go to uh, nabs.org naabs.org and that is where um, you guys can find more info on it too as well as donate if uh, you're so inclined to do so and again if you want more info on that go check them out and go listen to episode 75 of our podcast that's a good one to to get some more info on finally facebook instagram youtube all of our socials you guys go uh go check those out follow like subscribe all that good stuff we're bringing out new new videos every single week as well as uh new hunting and outdoor posts on our social media pages every single day so a lot of content on there for you guys and a lot of good stuff drew did i miss anything man uh not that i got i think we did a great job covering everything awesome well with that we're gonna hang it up and john i'd like to thank you again man for joining us this week on our podcast and i'm sure we'll have you on again before too long yeah, I, I appreciate you guys very much for, for giving me the opportunity, and I look forward to being back on. Absolutely. Well, guys, if you if you are looking for a hunt uh, outside of the lower 48 or uh, coming soon, it sounds like a couple more opportunities inside, go, uh, go check out JRA Adventures. Um, or if you just want an idea of an outfitter, we have several contacts uh, with guys who do um, book hunts in the lower 48 as well. If you're looking for whitetail or anything like that in a different area um, that we can put you in contact to. So go check them out. All right, guys. Thank you all for listening to another week of our Fall Session podcast. And we will be back with you all again next week for another episode. We'll catch you then.
life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'm old there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.